to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 48 of Skiba News Nation, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we'll be talking about Trump tells Tucker who really blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Fox News producer admits pressure, brought to you by Pfizer. End times are nearing with AI. The government preparing for a communication shutdown, an all new Opus Corner, and for history, we'll be talking about George Orwell's 1984 and how it predicts today, the most photographed tornado in Dallas in 1957, memes, and much more. So subscribe and stay tuned. Now, as always, I'd like to introduce my great and insightful co-host, Mr. Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. How you doing? Hey, Jeremiah. Doing pretty great. I know this week uh, we're really excited for the big conference happening down in Georgia uh, the Sacred Word Revealed Conference, and we'll, mm -hmm. me and you and your mom and my wife, we'll, we'll all be down there. So we'll get to hang out and meet with some people, and it'll be a blast. Maybe we can take some video and share it next week on Skiba News Nation. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, let people know how it is. I think that'll be really fun. I, the last time they had that conference was in 2020, 21. I can't, I can't remember exactly. It's been like two years or so, but uh, it, it'll be a blast. Yes, it will. All right, well, you ready to dive right in? All right, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it.
All right, so this week we got a couple interesting stories for you guys. Uh, just to kick us off, Them, how long have I been a conspiracy theorist? Me. Since the day I found out Santa wasn't real. <laughs> uh, and as more and more things get revealed in our lives to be deceptions or uh, somebody was pulling the wool over our eyes to get one over on us, I think we all become very skeptical of the news as presented by the mainstream media. Uh, and this is currently p the position that gets you called a conspiracy theorist, right? Mm -hmm. That you want to make men masculine again. That you want to make women feminine again. That you want to make children innocent again. And uh-oh, you're getting the finger wagged at you by all these uh, uh, corporate media types because you're hurting their bottom dollar. Especially when you look at different campaigns that are going on uh, right now in, in media of pushing these agendas that are contrary to what I just showed there. But mm -hmm. just a reminder, the aluminum foil hat, right, is safer on your head than in your brain. And of course, you're a conspiracy theorist if you align up with this little symbol in the bottom left-hand corner here, which unfortunately has to be a redacted statement, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And also the fact that do not confuse follow the science with follow the scientist. Science is objective and factual, and scientists can be sold to the highest bidder. And that's absolutely what we've seen over the past few years. And uh, unfortunately, many people's health has been negatively impacted. And uh, not only that, but if you stood up for real science and questioned rushed pandemic-type uh, experimentation, then you could have lost your job. You could have been stigmatized. Uh, even your family uh, could have turned against you because there's so much indoctrination going out that unfortunately people became nasty with one another. Yep. And now there's a lot of vindication looking back. But uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes people, whenever they realize that they were wrong, they get even more bitter, even more uh, they double down on the topic. And that's what we're kind of seeing in the world today and but don't don't forget this important concept there are two truths about change one is people can change and two you can't change them they have to decide for themselves that they're going to see the the truth behind the the golden curtain right they're mm -hmm. going to be the ones to investigate themselves to come to a realization of reality themselves because all we can do is leave the breadcrumbs right and that's what we're trying to do with skiba news nation but that brings us into our first video we've got some interesting ones here's a video of uh trump telling tucker who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline uh and uh this pipeline that blew up has been pegged on russia by mainstream news outlets we'll check out what trump's saying so the lunatics in the Biden administration promised to blow up Europe's biggest natural gas pipeline, and then Europe's biggest natural gas pipeline got blown up. Who did it? You're not allowed to ask questions, but we wanted to know what Donald Trump thought. He might know. Here he is. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? Um, I don't want to get our country in trouble, so I won't answer it. But uh, I can tell you who it wasn't was Russia. How about when they blamed Russia? You know, they said Russia blew up their own pipeline. You got a kick out of that one, too. It wasn't Russia. 
pretty, pretty diplomatic answer for a man who's supposed to be crazy. So, man, very interesting how that's being presented. Um, I'm starting to get a weird feeling like some of these videos are almost AI generated, and it makes me a little cautious. Was and, it the video uh, I played you of Tucker that kind of made you question? Maybe some of those are AI? Yeah, I mean, just the, just the fact that they're trying to discredit alternative media sources mm -hmm. sharing trutherisms, right? And the first thing that'll discredit you is if you share bad news, and uh, and then they're like, "Oh, look, you're just sharing an AI video." That means we got to clamp down on anything anybody can share anywhere, and only the official sources are able to share the truth. Yeah. And and that's kind of the vibe I get from seeing things like that. And and uh, you know, if this conversation is true, it just shows how one-sided the west is reporting on what's happening in europe right now with russia and ukraine and uh just it's really interesting uh and in the face of ai we're going to see a video later on about how ai uh could be you know a sign of the times uh as people are going to not be able to find the truth anymore because you're going to be living in a sea of simulation right yeah uh but Let's go ahead and check out this next video uh, where Fox News producers tell all to a OMG journalist about the advertising pressures and Pfizer. So check out this video. $144 million to settle that. Hey, well, oh, that was with um, like the Dominion yeah. Company. Uh, what happened with that? Like, they gave him money, so they part of it. They say it wasn't part of it, but we're learning that Tucker getting fired was part of that. Tucker getting fired was part of the Dominion lawsuit? It was part of the salary. You know. Well, if I had a pillow guy, or it's brought to you by Pfizer, right? It's like it's yeah. big pharma. Yeah. Which is well, crazy because like we would do all this stuff about COVID. And we're getting money from Pfizer. We're getting what? And we're getting money from Pfizer. Yeah. Well, I mean... Big pharma, big tech. You know, you're talking about, like, the shady players, like your buddy Michael Rosa. Like, that he's the one who's crafting Dominion's message. That's a whole story in and of itself. OMG News has obtained incendiary footage of a Fox News producer talking about Tucker Carlson's departure, the Dominion settlement, and the influence that advertisers and pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer have over the embattled network. Fox News Media, America's News, and much more. $144 million to settle that. Oh, that was with um, the Dominion Company. Yeah. How did, what, what happened with that? Like, they gave him money, part of it. They say it wasn't part of it, but we're learning that. Tucker getting fired was part of that. Tucker getting fired was part of the Dominion lawsuit? part of the Well, so did Tucker leave, or did you guys part ways, or Tucker was yeah. ousted? Yeah, he was ousted. Well, he brought up things that cost him a lot of money. Cost he, the company a lot of money? Yeah, well, that, that was part of it. Gonna go after this, this whole thing about January 6th oh, yeah. was, no. it was an inside job. He went after this guy, Ray, who said was an FBI agent on the inside. Right. 
encouraged it. They who's gonna go on the air and what that guy said on 60 minutes and the Murdochs were like, you know, not that now. <laughs> the other thing with Tucker that is interesting is everyone's like, oh, mm-hmm. Are losing so many viewers and money like last show. There are a bunch of advertisers that said we're not going to advertise that hip hop hour. So now that he's gone, they're starting to come back. Sean, a Fox News insider, says that not only Tucker's reporting on January 6th cost the network a lot of money and made the Murdochs unhappy, but Sean goes on to talk about the pressures of advertising and the influence of Big Pharma on the embattled network. Yeah, it's yeah. Big Pharma. Yeah. Which is crazy because like we were doing all this stuff about COVID and we're getting money from Pfizer. We're getting what? When you say that we take money from Pfizer, what did you mean by that? I never said we took money from Pfizer. I think you're putting words in my mouth. You said, quote, and we're getting money from Pfizer. Yeah. Well, I mean, Big Pharma, Big Tech. Dude, you're describing to me like the nature of the narratives, right? Like. We have BlackRock and Vanguard who own everybody, yeah. right? They own CNN, MSNBC, Fox, you name it. That's what I was talking about, the self-censorship narrative. Media you know, BlackRock and Vanguard are in your ear. They're like, you can only say up until this point of what the truth is, and then you have to start pushing propaganda. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah, it's across the board kind of like that, where you don't want to piss off advertisers. Sean also told us about his buddy Mike LaRosa, who, according to his Twitter account, was the press secretary for Jill Biden. Michael LaRosa is now working for a PR company called Penta, whose primary client happens to be Dominion Voting. Sean says that no one has put this together. Well, we're certainly glad that Sean put it together for OMG and all of you. You look at those little connects and you're like... Someone yeah. who worked for the Biden White House was literally crafting a message for Dominion. No. So you're like, no. of course. So he left working for Joe Biden to start this PR firm or work for this firm. His sole client was Dominion. Doing their comps. It's like right from the White House to go to friends. Yeah. So wow. When you know those little moving parts, you're like, everyone's shitty. Well, so. Left the White House to literally go take down. The news outlet that was being unfavorable to his boss. Ah, no, one's talking, no one's talking about that. You know, you're talking about like the shady players, like your buddy Michael Rosa. Like, what it? What is? You know, like it's kind of public out there that he's like at this Penta group. He worked for Joe Biden. Put it together. Said he was pulling the strings. What did you exactly mean by that? You know, like with in this that he's the one who's crafting the media's message that he's running there to who? To, to the media. To the media. But no one's picking up on the fact that here's someone who used to work for Joe Biden. Joe or Joe? Or Joe. Both. Technically. Worked in, the, worked in the administration. Worked in the administration. Going after a voting company. Working with a voting company that take down Fox that's a whole story in and of itself. I also spoke to Sean myself on the phone while I was filmed, the undercover journalist recording in Washington, D.C., while I was recording back here at headquarters, and you can see Sean's reaction for yourself. Hey, Sean. Hey. Can you hear me? I hear you. Hey, Sean. <laughs> hey, this is James O'Keefe. <laughs> We'd like your comment on some of the things that you said. Yeah, I was with him the Thursday before he was fired, and we were talking about him 
having lunch and such with the Murdochs. He spoke to me, it was very cordial. However, the public has a right to know this information. It involves advertising, it involves the fourth estate, it involves how we get our information in society. Well, I, I promise you that you said these words and in terms of the context. Right, but do I work in advertising here? No. Okay. So just talk to somebody who doesn't know necessarily the full picture here, okay? So, I'll, so I, you want me to tell my audience that you don't work in advertising? Yeah, I don't. Go to our website, fill out our form, we will ship a camera to you and you too can sit across the table at a restaurant from a subject and record them. We need more people recording and listen again to that voice of the undercover journalist. Yes, do you recognize that? It's the same voice of the individual who recorded Tristan Walker at Pfizer. All right, so that's very interesting. That's exactly what we talked about in our previous episodes that we are theorizing that he was likely fired from Fox News because of the Dominion voting allegations and him covering January 6th and and how it, it seems like uh, BlackRock, who owns shares in this and that, well, it ended up with a big settlement and Tucker being fired. And so that's literally what we were talking about, Jeremiah. And, and mm -hmm. it's kind of been proven with this uh, undercover report there. Yep. So and it, has, that, it has a lot to do with history today, too. So it's pretty interesting that, you're, that all this is coming out now. And it has to do a lot with history, so it's like repeating itself in, in works written that used to be fiction is now real, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, we're talking about things that people have theorized really able to hit the nail on the head because it, it's being admitted. And that's just what's so interesting about this world we live in is these things are still being perpetrated still being done to us but it's like we know it's being done to us and and i think that's it, it creates a really weird contradiction because we know we're being manipulated we know we're being lied to the information's being spread all over the place and yet people are still going to go along with mainstream media it, it's crazy to think about yeah. all right so uh we've talked a little bit about uh Tucker and the expose and how big pharma is funding them. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this topic of AI and how it could relate to the end times. Check this video out. So Jeff Kinley, let's start with artificial intelligence. I always love to pick your brain on these things. AI is blowing up. It's everywhere. It feels like it was almost overnight that this became a phenomenon, although it's obviously been percolating for some time. But as a prophecy expert, as somebody who looks at the world and looks at scripture, what has you concerned maybe about AI? Well, there's a lot about AI that remains to be seen, Billy. We don't really know how this thing is going to end up you know, soaking into the soil of humanity, if you will. But obviously, one of the biggest concerns is that it, um, it replaces human intelligence. I mean, we are moving uh, as a society towards replacing humanity just about every way possible replacing human labor, human thought, human writing, uh, trying to pretty much put humanity to the, uh, the margins of the, uh, of the narrative here. But, but the thing about AI that's so frightening or potentially frightening is that, you know, there's talk of this uh, bioengineering, these nano robots uh, implanting within humanity, the idea of, of having uh, an interface, if you will, with, from humanity with technology. 
And of course, the biggest concern about that is that humans will now, according to those experts in the field, humans will be hackable. I mean, essentially we'll be hackable. They'll be able to read our emotions. Uh, if we respond positively to a certain newscast or to a certain, you know, emotion and a, a politician, that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, getting those, those cyber, you know, nanobots into our brains, uh, interacting with that and also just um, surveillance. I mean, there's, there's a huge concern about surveillance. You know, we're already being tracked on our phones, but I mean, how about being tracked in your own body? I mean, that's a huge concern. And then I think lastly, it's just the idea of deception because artificial intelligence is not human intelligence. And so there's the, uh, the obviously the capacity for a lot of bias in there, uh, pre-scripted inherent bias, but also just the idea of putting out a false narrative and someone says, hey, the, the AI must know more than me, so I'm going to trust the AI more than the people who uh, could be called conspiracy theorists, maybe. Well, you know, it's so interesting to me that we're having this conversation about AI at a time when culture is hyper dominated by emotion, right? Humans are everything that people are doing. It's, it's happening through their emotions, whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, they're being told by culture to go for that. And yet we're talking about a technology that has no emotion, right? That is, that is computerized. And I don't know, there's something about that to me that really strikes me as very strange Particularly, and, and this is, and I don't know how far you want to go with this, but I'm curious because you look at different end time scenarios and what is happening and what could happen. You talked about a lot of different elements there. Are there any hypotheticals you've thought of and how maybe AI plays into what we see in scripture happening, maybe prophecy per se? Yeah, again, it's hard to say just how these things will, will fall out in the end. Of course, in the end, there will be a, an antichrist on the planet. There'll be a, a global regime. And obviously they want to be able to trace, to track not just your economic trans, transactions, but also you as well. So there could be some, some control issues uh, as it relates to that. Uh, but you know, what you said was so true, Billy, is that we are a society, a culture, a world that is professional emoters. We're, we're really good at it, feelings, but we're not really good at reasoning, logic, thinking. Uh, the language is dying. Uh, pe people are not being educated today. So just having a rational conversation about anything without emotion being brought into it. So essentially AI could be, well, look, you go ahead and just keep emoting all you want. We'll take care of the thought process going on. And so we'll tell you what to think uh, through AI, through you know, chat, GPT, whatever. Uh, but in terms of your emotions, you just go ahead and keep doing that. What that does, it dumbs down a populace. So to the point where they're more easily manipulated and deceived. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out. What's really fascinating is watching people like Elon Musk and others step up to the plate and say, wait a minute, we need rules and regulations around this. Wait a minute, this is going to go too far if we don't stop right now. That rings some, uh, some bells for me where I'm thinking, okay, something here is potentially, now look, there could be some great things with AI too, of course. There could be some very big benefits to humanity. Who knows? Sure. Um, as you said, it remains to be seen. But I also wanted to ask you, because you and I, over the years, we've done many interviews. We've talked a lot about the end times. You've come on my shows. I've come on your show. And it is, it is interesting looking at the different nations, right, in Scripture that people like you and others have talked about, the different prophecies surrounding Russia, ideas about China. There have been conversations about North Korea, you know, obviously Israel. You go down the line, and then you look at the headlines today, and it's really shocking the last couple of years, Russia in particular, I'm um, watching the prominence in headlines. What is it like for you as somebody who 
look so intently at prophecy and at current events to watch the very nations that you've talked about be front and center in the headlines. Yeah, and there's a big difference between the, what people call newspaper exegesis or the idea that we run to the headlines and then go try to find a Bible verse to support it. Uh, contrasted, Billy, with the idea of we see the, what's going on in the world and we've been reading our Bible, we go, wait a minute, this, this tends to, to match up here. And one of the things that the Bible says about in the latter days, in the last days of earth, that there, there will be a, a movement of Russia south uh, towards Israel. And, uh, and what we've seen with Russia moving down to, uh, to Ukraine, trying to obviously take over that, this seemingly never-ending type of war, but also the fact that Russia has military assets in both Syria and off the coast uh, of the Mediterranean, off the coast of, of Israel there, just tells us that they're doing exactly what the Bible said would happen. And along with that, what's very, you know, you could say coincidental or ironic, is the fact that the very same nations that are predicted to join Russia in this coalition against Israel are currently anti-Israeli. They're currently anti-Semitic. They, they want to wipe Israel off the map. And so all the pieces of the puzzle seem to be coming together. The picture seems to be less pixelated now, and we can kind of get an outline of what's happening. Right. And it's, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't make this up. And, and I love what you said there. It's not like people are going to the headlines and pulling these things out for, for a very long time. These nations have been talked about. And, you know, yes, we've had a long history of trouble with USSR and then Russia, uh, which is what it became. But what is happening right now, these nations are front and center. Russia in particular is front and center and Israel is front and center. And you look at Israel and, and I'd love for you to just speak about this for a moment, because I think a lot of people I know for myself, when I look at the book of Ezekiel and I look, you know, at chapters, you know, 36, 37, 38, 39, and I'm going through and I'm reading, it's really incredible reading that and knowing that it's thousands of years before 1948 when Israel pops up on the map again. Can you just talk about the significance of modern day Israel? Because I, I really do think that's lost on a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. You know, Israel is this tiny nation about the size of New Jersey, and yet the entire world seems to be revolving around it over and over again. Yeah, these prophecies that were made, you know, 2,500 years before, uh, before Christ and even before then, is that virtually every Old Testament prophet, with the exception of Jonah, prophesied in one way or the other that Israel would come back to the land one day. And sure enough, she's back there. It's been called the super sign of the end times, the miracle in the Mediterranean. Billy, it's amazing because in order for the prophecies of revelation to occur, Israel must be in the land. Now you could call that a great coincidence or, or that the Old Testament prophets just simply got lucky every single time, but that's exactly what's going on. So as you trace that Ezekiel 36 through 39, it begins with Israel coming back to the land. Guess what, they're there. And then the next thing that happens is uh, this all out coalition led by Russia and these Islamic nations coming against Israel. So we're seeing kind of the buildup and the setup for that right now. So it is, it's the scripture's end times narrative, uh, again, coming into focus, like convergence of, of different tributaries coming into one mighty river. I think that's what's happening. You know, one of the other things, you know, obviously when Christians are talking about signs of the end times, and one thing I've always admired about you and your work is that you're very careful how you talk about these things, right? We, we don't date set, we don't do the things we know we're not supposed to do, but at the same time, watching, being aware of what is happening, looking at scripture, understanding the context of current events and where they might fall, um, and, and theorizing without, you know, going over the line on that. You've always done that, such an amazing job of that. 
some critics will say they'll, they'll look at current events and they'll look at what the Bible says, Jesus's warnings, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes. And they'll say, but okay, all, all of those things, sure, they could be signs of the end times, but they've always been happening. They're not new. What would you say when you look at where we are now and you look at what Jesus said in response to somebody who says that? Well, I'd say, first of all, I understand the point. I understand where they're coming from. But here, context is everything. Uh, timing is everything. At mm -hmm. no point in human history have there been wars and rumors of wars uh, like they are right now in terms of relating to the nation Israel, in terms of the end times narrative, uh, and, and seamlessly really dovetailing with what God says is going to go on in the end times. So it's a matter of timing. Had these things happened before Israel became a nation, we'd go, well, okay, those are just things that happen in the world. But since Israel has become a nation again, Billy, then what, what we see now is these things are happening in the context of God's prophetic clock uh, ticking down. So uh, again, the game changer is Israel and this whole thing. And, and she's kind of the, uh, the, the, I guess the Rosetta Stone, if you will, of Bible prophecy. So we look at Israel, we see what's happened there and we go, all right, now these things are happening. So it takes on more significance knowing that the clock is actually ticking. Yeah, and, and it's also technology, too. I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that we would be as connected as we are right now. And that has been another thing that has been talked about for decades. And, of course, you know, there were signs pointing to the world becoming more connected and interdependent. But to this level, I don't think anybody could have really predicted that. And that seems to be another element of this, right? Yeah, it is. What it does is it shrinks the world. It allows uh, globalism and, and that type of thing to be more uh, vol volatile and valid right now. And so as you think about technology and how it connects the world, uh, it shrunk us. It, it allows nations to communicate uh, much better and it allows them to get a narrative out a lot quicker as well. So everything, every, all the voices that are out there right now in the world, it's a much easier highway to travel on. And of course, people become more dependent on technology. And so technology is used, I believe, by Satan as well uh, to advance his own values, his own system, his own narrative, too. What would you say, and we just talked about a couple of them, but there may be some others, or it gives you a chance to maybe even sort of hone in on a couple. But when you look at all the things happening right now, and you look at all of Scripture and what you believe is being prophesied to come before the end times or, or amid the end times, what would you say are some of the most interesting things happening right now in current events that pique your interest? I would say the greatest thing for me is the push for globalism right now. Uh, we've just come off this whole pandemic crisis, which essentially uh, set the world up to come together. Again, every nation, every neighborhood talking about one thing. I believe there's going to be more crises that'll hit the world as well. There'll be economic crises. There'll be uh, this climate emergency thing that they're pushing right now. Uh, those things are going to be used to bring people together uh, under a one world globalist governance system. And these are the buzzwords that, that the global elites, that people all over the world are really talking about. So I think globalism is really the big thing we need to keep our eye on. The second thing I think is uh, what I just call a temple fever in Israel. I mean, there is such a fervor uh, to rebuild the Jewish temple and the volatility that is on that temple mount uh, right now, Billy, that it's it's really not just the center of the world. It's the bullseye of the planet is that Temple Mount, that 37 acres there. I was just there a couple of months ago and just took a single person tour over there and to do some research on a book. And I'm telling you, I walked on the Temple Mount and you, you knew that if anything went wrong right now, it could ignite world war. 
And so th the idea that the Jews want to rebuild their temple, they're intense about it. The Temple Institute, I went there, it's buzzing with activity. Uh, they're sitting on ready right now to rebuild that temple. And when that happens, we know that, that the earth is going to be during uh, in that time called the uh, tribulation period. So those are two things I'm keeping my eye on right now. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. As always, love sitting down with you. Where can people go? Because you've written so many wonderful books, and I know you have a new project coming out in June. Where can people go for more information? Yeah, just go to jeffkinley.com if you want to see a list of my books Alrighty. on Amazon. Jeff, so appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Billy, as always. Okay, so now personally, there are some things that they were saying that I disagree with that I think are deceptions that have been propped up to lead the modern church-minded people astray in terms of how biblical prophecy is playing out, but the way that it is playing out in front of them I believe is a misdirection whenever they hyper-focus on the nation state of Israel. And I would highly encourage anybody who's curious about what I'm talking about to check out some of uh, Rob Skiba's uh, research regarding the Ephraim awakening. Some of those videos are really can put into context why it is different the Israel talked about in biblical prophecy versus the nation state of Israel. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we are seeing a real manifestation of actual biblical prophecy however you land on the fence of eschatology or or what you think is coming a lot of these things that we're seeing in the world today are absolutely things we should be paying attention to uh not to mention you know it's what they were talking about with ai and and that technology being related to the antichrist and the push for globalism these were all very good points um but i bring that up because we are definitely hearing wars and rumors of wars in today's world and this leads right into something that uh is going to be talked about in this next very short video and also something that jeremiah shared with me at the beginning of the show that somebody who does not wish to be named uh was warning of and hopefully if this is accurate information it will be a good uh, encouragement for our audience to prepare themselves but let's go ahead and check out this last video and Jeremiah, you can share maybe uh, some of that uh, uh, source that you were talking about who didn't want to be named and some of the things that he was warning of. This is Dabu7. We have confirmation here today that dozens of U.S. senators have been issued satellite phones to be used during an emergency situation. And this situation is what they're dubbing a disruptive event. Whatever that may be, apparently our senators are being told that something is incoming here right around the corner and that these phones that have been distributed as part of a new security effort from the Senate Sergeant at Arms have been offered to every single senator in case of a big time emergency. It's unclear exactly which senators took part in this, but they're saying that last month Karen Gibson put this out and said that satellite communication will ensure a redundant and secure means of communication during a disruptive event. So the red flags are flying now and the questions are coming in as well. What is the disruptive event? They obviously know that something is about to happen and they're preparing their senators for such an event. You know, lights out 
And as it says here, the phones will support security measures during an emergency that takes out communications in the United States. Folks, we've got a big event about to happen where the communication and comms are about to go down and they are making sure that our senators have satellite phones to be able to deal with the situation. Wow. So when you see things like that, like senators being issued very special phones that would allow them to communicate in the event of a complete communication breakdown here in the West, the question comes to mind, what do they know that we don't know? And mm -hmm. I was really surprised at the beginning of today's show before we went live that Jeremiah said somebody contacted him with some insider information that didn't wish to be named, but Jeremiah wants to share that. Okay, so it's my new friend, and he wishes not to be named, but he was telling me uh, from a reliable source that the Department of Agriculture is like preparing for this big event that's going to happen, and that something about guns, about or that used to not use guns, are now using guns, and there's like these offices. It, it was. I wish you were on the call with me because there was so much I missed. But there are these offices and they're, they're preparing for something. So they're getting food and they, they have all this stuff in this one building and they're all across the United States. And uh, it kind of freaked me out. And I was like, I wish Jake was on this phone call. Basically keep it, you can say it on the show, but but don't mention anybody or, or my name or who, who I'm telling you about. But it was some pretty pretty scary stuff. Wow, that's really interesting. And I, it kind of seems to go along with the video, if you know what I mean. Like if, yep. if other agencies are preparing, they believe there's going to be some kind of food shortage and uh, a guy with insider information is sharing that with you. And then we see this about these special phones being issued in the in case of uh, emergency. This lines right up with this whole topic of wars and rumors of wars and the, the things that are going on in the world the smallest thing could be that ember that erupts into World War III, so to speak, or or whatever happens or whatever event goes down. Uh, these are all red flags that help remind us it's probably time to be prepared. It's probably time to go over plans with your family if you needed to uh, escape or uh, if there were some kind of draconian lockdown where you weren't able to buy food or or whatever. Uh, have those plans ready because it's the people that are uh, wise and prepare that aren't going to be as impacted. And while the people that are super dependent on the system li living day to day, uh, they're going to be much more beholden to the system if those traps come slapping shut. So mm -hmm. that's a, a really interesting uh, kind of correlation there with that last video. Uh, next couple articles that I want to share with you before we wrap up our news segment here. And these articles uh, have to do with uh, AI into the world schemes, right? Well, uh, it turns out that at Texas A&M University, uh, they have an investigation after an AI chatbot claims to have written every essay in the professor's class uh, because it can so well write ideas that uh, who knows if people are actually writing these things themselves or if they're just using chat GPT. And according to the article, uh, the professor was trying to investigate 
and some of the students had claimed to use ChatGPT to write their essay. Uh, none of them were docked, but it really does show a precedence that is probably going around the uh, college system today and probably high schools uh, that now that we have access to chat GPT, uh, why, if you're willing to cheat, why not use its intelligence for your benefit? And that's really interesting to me. Uh, so the, uh, the age of untainted academics is coming to an end. Uh, this is an interesting article on Vice, U.S. intelligence building system to track mass movement of people around the world. Uh, the quote is, there is no such thing as living off grid, said one architect of the system, which will use data from internet connected devices and smart city sensors. This thing you carry in your pocket uh, has far reaching implications, especially if you're wanting to be off grid. And at some point, I think people are going to have to completely unplug. And that means even the uh, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we carry with us in our pocket everywhere. Um, but the Pentagon's intelligence branch is developing new tech to help it track the mass movement of people around the globe and flag anomalies. I wonder what the anomalies they're looking for are. Could it be uh, people building communities outside of Babylon? I don't know. They want to make an example of people. Um, so uh, the, the name is Haystack, and it will be run by the DNI's Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity, IARPA. It's kind of like DARPA, the Pentagon's Blue Sky Research Department, but will focus on intelligence projects. Um, an ever-increasing amount of geospatial data is created every day, and this is from our phones, and uh, they're compiling all this data uh, to determine po movement of populations and people. So... That worth so looking crazy. up yeah that uh, has to do with into... what we're talking about in history too everything you talked about so far has been something that is going to be talked about in history it's insane oh wow that's really interesting I i'm looking forward to i know what you're talking about today i i can't wait to get into it uh here's uh just the last couple things um after an anti-redacted figure dies suddenly conspiracy theories abound and uh Rashid Butler claimed he was poisoned after a 2021 CNN interview and his death is being used by his fellow travelers to promote a particularly intense strain of suspicion. I think this is very interesting uh, in regards to what also happened to your dad, Jeremiah, and how there seems to be uh, a consistent pattern of major anti-redacted figures uh, who are far-right people and people speaking out against these agendas mm -hmm. being taken out. And uh, his death is being used broadly to restoke and the very old, truly baseless claim, apparently, that holistic doctors who oppose the mainstream medical establishment are being killed by mysterious forces. Uh, so this is just interesting to me uh, that they're, of course, trying to rebuttal a claim before it's even been established or not, right? They're, they're trying to discredit the possibility that Big Pharma has taken out the people that are speaking against them. And that just, to me, it's like, are you really even investigating this? The, the news was shared by Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, which is another major anti-redacted figure, um, and by uh, David Icke, a conspiracy theorist. Uh, they call him a major conspiracy theorist. And this topic is just like crazy, but here's the picture of the guy who allegedly could have been poisoned. 
uh, and Rashid Buttar, pictured in 2007 at his clinic in North Carolina, standing between what appear to be two hyperbaric oxygen chambers. And alternative medicine is just being axed, whether they're literally being axed or they're just being discredited and shamed in mainstream media. This article is very telling, but... Well, they love to uh, demonize people that, that are speaking the truth, you know? So Yes. That's what that is. And this brings <laughs> us to our last topic of today. The FBI releases files on QAnon, but withholds more than half of them. Hmm. Uh, so, of course, if you're familiar, during 2020 and early years before that, leading up to it, uh, the QAnon theory was very popular online. A lot of people were thinking that there might be something to this. Now, uh, in hindsight, it does seem like a misinformation CIA psyop. But whenever we look at uh, things like this, how this FOIA request, this Freedom of Information Act request on the topic, uh, out of the 43 pages found by the FBI related to QAnon, only 19 of them were released to this Black Vault request, right? And the remaining pages were withheld under Title V, which states that it allows an agency to exempt certain information from public release if it could harm specific interests. In this particular case, the FBI explains the reason to exempt the materials as it pertains to records or information compiled for law enforcement purposes, the release of which could reasonably be expected to interfere with enforcement proceedings. That means they have somebody on the end of their hook that they're trying to still bring in and, uh, and prosecute. Uh, and so the information withheld in these documents could potentially provide insights into the scope and nature of the FBI's investigation into QAnon. And I wonder if some of the reasons they're, you know, keeping them redacted is because it is a, a CIA psyop or it is exposing why QAnon was pushed so heavily to the conspiracy-minded people, whether to discredit them, whether to spur on January 6th violence and then people saw through it or people didn't see through it and they went along thinking that Trump had Hillary Clinton and locked up in uh, Guantanamo Bay. All of these are very interesting, but uh, why? Why are they redacting it and... Uh, you can also go and check out uh, the 29 pages that were released uh, due to the Freedom of Information Act and, and compare, you know, what are they hiding versus what are they releasing? Because this Q topic was huge. I remember leading up to 2020, it was a huge topic. Well, you remember when I went to the Trump rally in um, Waco, uh, I told you about that and I showed it on the show. There was a guy that was sitting behind us that was wearing a, a shirt but he took it off while trump was speaking to show his QAnon shirt and the security went up to him and, and made him leave put on another shirt wow it, it was pretty intense like i was like whoa what just happened and uh i guess he just doesn't want to be associated with that you know like because he didn't start it i mean some people think he did i guess right yeah I mean, that's the big question is what what is the agenda that's being fulfilled with all these QAnon conspiracy theories and the leaks? And and there really are some pretty uh, interesting connections with some of Trump's tweets, for example, and the timing of QAnon drops. And, 
And it just makes the whole thing like really make you want to scratch your head like, okay, there's something to this, whether it's a big psyop, whether it was Trump and them and they're covering that up, uh, whether it, it was just to trap people uh, who had conspiratorial mindsets uh, and to, to get them to identify themselves and to pretty much get flagged and, and put on a list by the FBI, CIA, just because they entertain the idea. All of these are questions that come to my mind, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. But that's all the news for this week, Jeremiah. All right. Thank you, Jake, for another great current news, as always. And now a word from our friend, JJ. Now a word from our sponsor. Now, personally, I've tried every CBD product on the market to help me manage my pain. I have degenerative disc disease, and nothing has ever helped me until I tried JJ's Natural CBD Rub. So when I found out that we had the opportunity to work together, I was so excited that I could share this amazing product with you guys here on Skiba News Nation. So if you want to manage your pain like I did, text CBD to 920-382-7720 for an exclusive $50 off a three-pack special. Also, check out all the testimonials on their website, jjcbdrub.com. Get pain relief like I did by getting yourself some JJ's Natural CBD Rub today. Check out more info down in the description below. Now, JJ's CBD Rub is the best. Like, I don't think I could get out of bed every morning without JJ's CBD Rub. I keep saying that because it's like the truth. I mean, it's, it's an amazing product. And if you're in pain like I am, get yourself some because it, it will help you and uh yeah thank you jj uh it's about that time i think for an all-new opus corner take it away opa the following presentation may contain too many cat jokes viewer discretion is advised this presentation is rated cj cat jokes parental guidance suggested Welp, it's time for some more stories on Opa's Corner. So, let's get started. A couple of old ladies were sitting on a patio and speaking to each other about their grandchildren. I send gifts, greeting cards, and checks to my grandchildren, and they still barely visit me. Oh, I too send checks to my grandchildren, and they visit me all the time. Oh, you are so fortunate to have more grateful grandchildren than my own. No, my grandchildren are about as grateful as yours. So, what do you do different? Are your checks bigger than mine? No, I just don't sign mine. 
A father is lecturing his son about the importance of a good education. Dad, what's the difference between a man with a college degree and a man without? Well, son, you could perform the same job, but the outcome will vary if you have a college degree or not. How so? You see, if you rob a man without a college degree, you will be prosecuted as a criminal and sent to jail. What if I rob a man after I received a college degree? In that case, they will address you as Special Agent of the IRS. <laughs> it was a regular day at first grade, and the teacher asked all the students to tell her something about what their parents do for a living. Some kids knew and gave a good description, while others didn't really understand what their parents' job were and gave vague descriptions or none at all. When they got to little Johnny, he stood up and said, My dad cuts people in half. Oh, really? asked the teacher. You mean he's a magician? I don't know. A surgeon, maybe? I don't know. Then why do you think he cuts people in half? Because I have two half-brothers and three half-sisters. <laughs> A couple just had their first son. The husband is half-Irish and half-Indian. The wife is half-Chinese and half-Italian. That's a lot of heritage to inherit. They talk about it, and they discovered they both wish to have their son named after their heritage. A terrible argument ensues, causing both of them a lot of anguish. After a few days, they finally came to a decision that made both of them happy. They decided on the name Ravi Oli. <laughs> Little Johnny wanted to go to the zoo and pestered his parents for days. Finally, his mother talked his reluctant father into taking him. After several hours, the two men of the family come back smiling and tired. So, how was it? his mother asked. Great, little Johnny replied. Did you and your father have a good time? Yeah, Daddy really liked it, especially when one of the animals came home at 30 to 1. <laughs> A new teacher was trying to make use of her psychology courses. She started her class by saying, Everyone who thinks they are stupid, stand up. After a few seconds, little Larry stood up. The teacher said, do you think you're stupid, Larry? No, ma'am, but I hate to see you standing there all by yourself. <laughs> A Scotchman wanted to sell his car, so his friend told him to wind the mileage back a bit and he would get a better price for it. His friend saw him a few days later and asked about the sale of his car. The Scotchman replied, when he finished winding it back, it only had 7,000 miles. So, 
he decided to keep it. <laughs> and now for the funnies. <laughs> Early archaeologists. Now, take this granite bowl. It was dug up not far from here. It probably dates back to, oh, I'd say early July. <laughs> Document shredders of ancient Mesopotamia. <laughs> what have you got by the doors? A uh, fire extinguisher and a light switch? <laughs> By doors. Unbelievable! Yet another penalty sends Walters back into the box. It's almost as if he likes it in there. <laughs> Dog pep talk. You're great. You could do it. You're the best. Cat pep talk. Get your together and feed me. <laughs> that was yesterday for me. <laughs> okay, okay. You guys have had your chance. The horses want another shot at it. <laughs> it was a Doberman. Dark eyes, 120 pounds, studded collar. Three-inch teeth. Is that a cat whisker? <laughs> Three and a half stars. The food is great, but the ambience has something to be desired. <laughs> oh. So you're the one who took all of our jobs. <laughs> it's true. Suddenly, Dinah understood why so much food fell off her plates. Wax. <laughs> Professor Joe comes up with an ingenious way to locate the elusive Bigfoot. Ha! <laughs> Everything the light touches is my kingdom. Huh? This doesn't belong here. Oof. Get off the table! <laughs> yep. <laughs> Open mic night. Did anyone see the new movie, The Little Red Dot? <laughs> oh, that's right. Nobody can catch it in theaters. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, you overslept and missed your vine again. <laughs> Thank you.
In the Old West, cowboy show-offs often fell victim to the old whoopee saddle gag. <laughs> Nitcher. Furniture. <laughs> That's funny. It's worse than I first suspected. Mr. Blinkley, you don't even have a funny bone. Cats knock stuff off the table because they're studying gravity. They're not jerks. They're scientists. <laughs> when pressed, the tailor, a material witness in the suit, came apart at the seams. His altered testimony completely unraveled. The tale he had woven had been a complete Fabrication. Uh. <laughs> Wanna listen to some music? I've got Bebop, Beethoven, Beyonce, the Beatles, Beastie Boys, Cross, B Stills, and Nash, Justin. Bieber. Do you have anything from Sting? <laughs> what about the Bee Gees? <laughs> Bass fishing area. Oh. Or is that base fishing area? <laughs> that was like last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trivia night. Okay, we'll start with an easy one. One. Who's a good doggy? Hey, hey, I, 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 oh, uh. <laughs> New laptop designed for pet owners. I need that. <laughs> In case you didn't hear me the first time, you have been charged with fraud. How do you plead? <laughs> Get off me! <laughs> Cat furniture is not supposed to talk. <laughs> The real reason for Schubert's unfinished symphony. <laughs> it's probably true. Great Scott! Hengray, it's the Ottoman Empire! When you first make contact with the Earthlings, wear this helmet. Trust me, it'll be hilarious.
I wonder who came up with this trend. Tiny houses. Amen. <laughs> A kitty stack. Oh, yeah. That looks like fun. And that concludes Opa's Corner for this week. My hoot, der hat drei Ecken. Drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken. Das ist es nicht mein Hut. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. Opa, thank you for another great Opa's Corner. Can we get an applause? I think it was great. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Thank you, Opa. Take a bow. Very good. Very good. All right. Thank you, thank you. Let's, let's calm down now. Thank you, thank you. Sorry, guys, at home for my studio audience. All right. <laughs> All right, now it's time to play the, the promo for my mom's book, The Protocol That Kills. So. Did you know that a government-incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted, we now see government-dictated medical care at its worst in our history since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a first-hand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba, who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action, despite the protest of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors therapists, nurses, and hospital staff. Numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000-page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death. The testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case. Invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD, says, this book 
shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger, as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America, and to provide you with essential insights that can help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com. So my mom's book, The Protocol That Kills, is available now. And uh, if you've already got yourself a copy, please share it because we want to save lives with this book. And I know, I know it will save so many lives. So, and and just for comparison, this is how tiny my book is compared to her book. Like, <laughs> there is so, there is so much evidence in there. It, it's it's insane. But lawyers won't touch it because of the topic. All right. Well, it's time for some mystery. So before we get into our history topics for today, uh, last week we were talking about Opa and John Denver, and did you guys know that Opa was a folk singer? He was, he, he can you tell me more about it, Opa? You, you were a folk singer, and you, get, you were like semi-professional because you paid for your college that way. Yeah, we, we, I started in, uh, basically in high school, and, um, uh, from there went on in the college and in the college I sang at a, at a nightclub down there called the checkered flag uh, in Austin Texas which is I went to the University of Texas uh, and the checkered flags not there anymore but uh, every weekend I would go down there uh, Friday Saturday uh, Thursday Friday and Saturday and I would uh, sing down there and pass the hat and collect money and that paid for my room and board basically uh, uh, just singing folk music which was popular at the time uh, I think you could have gone you could have gone mainstream and so what I did was I went into the OPA archives and actually OPA did and found these photos for you guys because a couple of you were asking about it and so let's show some of those photos isn't that cool that's OPA how old are you right there uh, that's probably in my teens, probably anywhere from uh, 16 to 18. And then that's your graduation picture in the background. Yeah, right. Cool. And then this photo, can you tell me more about this one? That one's so cool. Yeah, this is, uh, this is our Peter, Paul, and Mary group. We called ourselves the Redwood Trio. And again, this was uh, probably around 18. And uh, this is... Uh, this is the same group that we we got our 15 minutes of fame on uh, television where uh, again uh, folk music was very popular and they had a show called Hootenanny. Hometown Hootenanny. Well there was Hootenanny which was a national thing and then they had Hometown Hootenanny which were local ones that usually were on college campuses or what have you or, or local uh, high schools studios. Yeah. And uh, 
the Hootenanny show would occasionally broadcast some of the the local stuff. They would switch around to the different cities and show uh, different uh, singers uh, performing. And that was our 15 minutes of fame. We were on there and we did uh, basically two numbers and uh, that was it. I love how you kind of remind me of Buddy Holly in those photos. So you're folk folk music player, but you kind of had the style of Buddy Holly, which is very cool. And then we got one more photo. I believe this one is from a paper, right? This is a newspaper article. This is where we were singing in a nightclub, and it was talking about the popularity of folk music in nightclubs and how a lot of people now are heading to the nightclubs to listen to folk music. Unfortunately, uh, sometime after that, the uh, Beatles and all of these other uh, English uh, folk, uh, not folk groups, but English rock groups. The and British Invasion. The British Invasion happened and uh, folk music uh, quickly died. And uh, so our whole opportunity to, to do anything just kind of went away with it, including a lot of our friends that uh, when we were in the uh, singing in the nightclubs, there were other groups like the Journeyman, or not the Journeyman, the Kingsman, and uh, uh, some other uh, people that would, were, were singing folk music. They just kind of like disappeared because uh, it wasn't as popular anymore. Yeah. So we just wanted to share this with you guys because so many of you asked, you know, like what Opa did and, and how he was involved in music. And I think it's so cool to see these old photos and, and of him in action, you know what I mean? So that's, thank you, Opa. Yeah. So today for the main history topic, we're going to be talking about this book right here. 1984 by George Orwell, which is going to blow your mind because this book basically describes what Jake was kind of explaining today in so many ways. It's a cautionary tale from the writer who is a, a man from England named George Orwell. George or Orwell was born on the 25th of June, 1903. He died January 21st, 1950. He was 40, 46 years old. I mean, that's pretty young for for anybody. I mean, 46. And uh, this book was published one year before his death, and it was published on June 8th, 1949. So keep that in mind as we watch part one of two parts of this George Orwell prediction video thing. Let's check this out. Imagine if you lived in a world where you were constantly watched. A world where everything is controlled by the elite. Where you're bombarded with non-stop propaganda. A world where everyone is repressed, lonely and isolated. Existing as one insignificant cog in an incomprehensible machine. This is the chilling vision of the future that George Orwell put forward in his masterpiece 1984. And does it sound familiar? It's no coincidence that his predictions have come true in nearly every single way in our modern society today. So let's take a deep dive into the story of 1984 to learn how you're being controlled and if you can ever break free. Now the movie begins with a quote from the iconic book that it was adapted from. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. And this sets the stage. And then without delay, we are then shown the iconic shot of a crowd of people staring at propaganda presented by the party. 
The party is the shadowy government which controls every aspect of life through their ideology INSOC. The basic principle is to control information so tightly that every aspect of life is dictated and controlled by the party. Absolute obedience is expected, down to rejecting basic facts about life and even your own thoughts and memories. On the screen, a video player is creating an idyllic image of the country that the West has become, all under this totalitarian rule, Oceania. This is one of the three superstates which make up the world of 1984, with control over the Americas, Britain, Australia, and some parts of Africa. And this is when we're introduced to the concept of Big Brother, and a man named Goldstein, who attempts to persuade the people of Oceania that they are being duped. But despite the truth in what he's saying, he's drowned out by shouts from the audience. Ing Sok has conditioned them to reject the truth entirely, to the point they don't even want to hear it. Throughout the demonstration, you can see the Inzok salutes, something that was borrowed from historical totalitarian regimes. And after this propaganda video reaches its climax, the crowd is pacified by the symbol of Insok, alongside the face of Big Brother. It's afterwards that we're introduced to our main character, Winston Smith, who is working in an office cubicle for the Ministry of Truth. His job is to edit past broadcasts to reflect the current reality that they're pushing. So if the sugar ration has been reduced from last year, he will then edit last year's paper to imply that it actually went up instead. And then once he's finished with his day's work, Winston makes his way back home, where propaganda has already been played in his house. This time it's a man being shamed for falling under Goldstein's influence. The man has been charged for attempting to persuade the public that they're not at a war with Eurasia, but rather East Asia. This information control and Eurasia is central to Big Brother's control of the people, as over time, the party has rewritten reality to suit their needs. Now Winston is a key part of this process, but obviously this brings up contradictions, and that's where the concept of doublethink comes in. The idea of wholeheartedly believing in two separate contradictory facts. One of the examples they give in the novel is the simultaneous belief that the party is a bastard of democracy, and also that democracy is impossible. And it's through this concept that the party rewrites reality, replacing it with an illusion of their own creation. And this is the all-encompassing lie that maintains 1984 society. It's only through everyone believing it that it becomes real. But this concept of a world founded on fiction isn't something that Orwell created all by himself. Instead, this is something that's very real and has been observed throughout history. Thousands of years ago, Plato wrote some of the first recorded philosophy on this concept, through what he called the noble lie, where people know their place in society society through their belief in an entirely fictional story about the society's origin. The details aren't important, so long as it gives justification for the social order. And this gives people a reason to accept how the world is, and that their equal man is somehow better or worse than him. And we see this today, when our own version of Big Brother says one thing and then means another. Like when the establishment media, politicians and World Economic Forum claim to be working for freedom and free speech, also while doing everything they can to bully and censor all criticism into silence. And there are just countless examples of this, like when the fattest, most grotesque politicians of them all claim that they're promoting health. And this concept has evolved over time as people realize that all of society's institutions are built upon a necessary fiction. And this is known as the habitus. It's the veil you need to see through for society to make sense. Now the concept is similar to the noble lie, but the habitus goes much deeper. You see, throughout your life, you are influenced by your environment and your interactions with other people. And these combined with your personality create your view of the world. And it's in this way that you buy into the habitus, the shared societal illusion of how the world should be. You were socialized into the habitus. It's come down from above and everyone else around you believes in it. The habitus is the social contract between you, your fellow man, and the government. And it's what determines your culture. It's what determines all the societal trends around you, and therefore also decides the rules of society. And this stretches to everything. Our ideas of beauty, what's seen as valuable, what's seen as even right and wrong. But because it's influenced by the environment and how people treat each other, the habitus is always changing to reflect this. And the world of 1984 operates on a habitus.
The problem with the 1984 Habitus is that it's been cracked to the top and severely deformed, and because it's been poisoned at the top, it's trickled down into all elements of society. And this is why 1984 is so scary. In fact, 1984 is far more unsettling than any dumb horror film because it's so realistic. We all instinctively know what the future could be like because we're so close to it today. Our society that we live in right now is just a few steps away from totalitarianism, and Orwell was trying to warn us of all of this. Because throughout the story, we're going to see exactly how the party has warped the Habitus and society and how it's affected everyone within the society. So getting straight back into the story, Winston introduces us to the concept of thought crime. Now thought crime is the act of going against the habitus of the world, even in your deepest thoughts. Just considering rebellion is already rebellion, because it's something outside of the party's reality. The party enforces this through the Thought Police, a secret organisation which uses informants, surveillance and undercover agents to root out anyone who even thinks about rebelling. And as the propaganda continues playing in the background on the ever-present screen, Winston lifts a brick from his house and uncovers his journal, something that's definitely banned in the world he lives in. And it's in this journal that Winston reminisces about a world where thought was free, a time where minds weren't controlled by Big Brother and the Thought Police. And by doing this, he's already become a thought criminal just through his own memories. And upon waking up the next day, Winston is then subjected to a mandatory exercise routine in front of his television, to which he is signaled out for not performing adequately. Winston then half-heartedly waves the insult hand signal and makes his way to work. And that's when he's treated even more propaganda, playing on the television during lunch hour. However, what instead catches the eye of Winston is a young woman staring at him. Winston then sits down and begins eating his meal, when one of his colleagues comments on the new shortened dictionary and how positive the destructions of word really is. Newspeak, as they call it, is a new language invented by the party that reduces English to its bare essentials, where controversial words are removed, meaning that if it works then rebellion will be impossible, because it won't even be able to be considered. The words just won't exist for it. Back at work, Winston then continues his job at the Ministry of Truth, this time unpersoning someone. Now unpersoning is the act of essentially removing someone from history and replacing them with someone else. And this is just one of the many aspects of 1984 which has its roots in previous autocracies. Now in this all was specifically alluding to Stalin's dictatorship, where this was an extremely common practice. Enemies of the state, or rather enemies of Stalin, wouldn't just be executed. Every mention of their name and even their image in photographs was erased, completely removing them from history. However, this practice of course hasn't died out. The Chinese government, for example, was infamous for disappearing anyone they don't like. Jack Ma, the CEO of Alibaba, essentially disappeared from public view after making economic suggestions that would shift power away from the Chinese Communist Party. And today, he's all but vanished from the public eye, spending his time in exile under constant surveillance. But we're not just talking about China, this is happening all over the West. When anyone who speaks out against the agenda set in place by Western governments, they are then often censored or bullied into silence. Whether it be Julian Assange or Edward Snowden talking about the government's crimes, or any other supposed thought criminal who's been cancelled on social media for talking about and its origins. Anything deemed a thought crime and you can be cancelled immediately. I mean it's gotten to the point now where FBI and other government intelligence agencies are infiltrating and working in conjunction with all the big social media sites and once they have control of sites like Twitter they can then censor any narrative they don't like, shadow banning or completely deleting people from the sites. But it's not just social media companies, now even companies like Uber, PayPal and even Airbnb can ban you for having the wrong opinions online. And then over in China is their infamous social credit system. The basic idea is for each person to be assigned a personal score based on how trustworthy they are according to the Chinese government. Certain things can increase your score, like making a social media post praising the government, but on the other hand, things like getting into debt, buying too many video games, reading the bible or criticizing the government deducts points from your score, and if your score falls too low, the CCP will then severely reduce your already restricted freedoms. As people with a low score can have trouble buying train or even plane tickets, some people have even had their pets taken away from them, with one student even being denied a place at university because his father had a low score. For now, the system has only been put into practice by some scattered regional governments, but it won't be that way for very long, and recently it's usually being pushed through new laws to lay the groundwork, meaning that a nationwide social credit system 
system is just a few years away. I mean recently it's gotten so bad in China that a new law just passed which means that farmers can only plant the crops the government approves of and the personal planting of vegetables like beans, melons, squashes in your front or backyard is now strictly forbidden. And in the west we're also seeing a gradual progression of repression which is exactly what George Orwell feared. Winston makes his way to an antique store in the slum districts of London and meets the owner who sold him his journal. He buys a coral figurine, taped with glass, and makes his way out of the store, where he meets the same woman who was staring at him during lunch. The woman continues looking at him ominously, going into the proletariat zones in London, something that is forbidden by the party. She could sell him out, and so Winston considers killing her back at his apartment. Coincidentally enough though, the two see each other the very next day, in an underpass. The woman stumbles and falls to the ground, but quickly makes her way back on her feet. Secretly, as he's helping her, the woman hands Winston a note before leaving. At work, Winston unveils the note, and it reads, I love you, along with a meetup location on the backside. Seemingly without a second thought, Winston tosses the note into the incinerator, and we transition back to his apartment, where Winston is fixing his neighbor's train at the behest of his neighbor's wife. At the apartment, one of the neighbor's children loudly accuses him of being a Thor criminal. Obviously, this makes Winston very nervous. It's an accusation which can lead to death and suffering, and it's coincidentally true. But both of the adults ignore it. It's just the result of youth indoctrination. However, it's true all the same. Luckily, before the confrontation can go any further, though, a news flash interrupts the engagement. The announcement states that the war with Eurasia is reaching an end. But with how the flow of information works in a totalitarian state, who can really say if this is the case? And as afterwards we see a mob of citizens cheering on executions playing from the television, along with a bunch of Eurasian prisoners being escorted to their impending death. Winston is among this crowd, along with a mysterious woman who hands Winston another note. She is relying on him to destroy it. Winston abides and says that he will finally meet her at the drop point, taking a train to the destination. On the train ride, a band of children are then singing a propaganda song, where they pledge loyal devotion to the state and to die with dignity. Growing up in the system means their habitus is completely under the control of government. One day the last people who can remember the old war like Winston will die, leaving no one left who knows anything outside of the state's control. A truly terrifying thought. And so once Winston exits on a stop, we see our first glimpse of nature in the movie. This change of scenery is a stark contrast to the industrial environment that the majority of Oceania presides in. Winston is now out in the forest and looking for the drop point, until he hears a twig snap behind him. It's the woman, and she has been following him the whole time. When the two get to a scheduled hiding place, it's here where we get an insight into Winston's worldview. After learning that the woman has done this exact stunt with hundreds of men, Winston states that he hates goodness and doesn't want virtue to exist anywhere. Winston wants everyone corrupted, much to the delight of the woman. This state of mind is a direct response to the tyranny of Winston's society, meaning that everything the party in the Habitus sees as good is turned on its head. And because of this overwhelming level of control in the society, most of the things that Winston thinks are bad or corrupted just aren't. They're normal parts of life which the party sees as a threat to their authority, and therefore it's outlawed. It's part of the tactic of keeping the people impoverished and uneducated, as this makes them far easier to control. Because real education and economic prosperity are the two worst things for Big Brother. As they're not trying to enlighten you or save your soul, it's all about control. The more you commit to their ideology, the more they can poison your soul. And that's why in the book Orwell writes, every record has been destroyed or failed, every book rewritten, every picture repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered. It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. And today in our own world, we're seeing a very similar process unfold. You see things as simple as children's books, I'm talking Roald Dahl books, are now being pushed through a demented purity filter, where all bad words or paragraphs are now being rewritten. Words like witches have been turned to hags, fat turn to ginormous, black person to dark, cloud men to cloud people. Entire sections of these children books are being rewritten to eliminate any wrong thing. 
And this isn't just children's books. This is happening throughout all genres. Roald Dahl is just the most egregious example of this. But it doesn't even stop there, because even a recent UK government-backed report has now claimed that reading George Orwell's 1984 is a sign of, quote, extremism. So Western governments are now characterizing people who read 1984 as potential enemies of the state. And this isn't just happening with words. We're also seeing this in the same form of economic control. So that was part one, but I, I wanted to pause there and discuss what we just saw. I mean, remember, this book was published by George Orwell in 1949. What are your thoughts about that, Jake? I think that's crazy how we're seeing it manifest in the real world. Like exactly what he was calling out is now being painted as a form of possible extremism. If people are reading a book that warns of that type stuff, that that to me is just one of the most blatant examples that they're using the the big brother of 1984 as a model not as a warning and that's pretty alarming well let me tell you 1984 is responsible for certain concepts and when i read these off to you you tell me if this is today okay big brother obviously yes yeah Okay. Double think? Double think? Yeah, I mean, it's that's what the book warns of is uh, double think is just having two opposing ideas, right? Mm -hmm. That contradict, but you believe fully in both of them. Yep. News speak? And that's a euphemism uh, used in political propaganda speech. Wow. Uh, the thought police? It's another one? uh and he and he was writing these terms down when did you say he published this book 1949 oh my yeah. goodness and he was ahead of his time yeah he focuses on topics like censorship propaganda and oppressive government i mean that's crazy so i just want to take a pause just because it's crazy as as we've seen part one but it gets crazier in part two so let's play that as we're all familiar with, the past few decades have seen enormous inequality that has steadily risen over the last 40 years, which is why by 2019, the world's richest 26 people owned more wealth than the poorest 50%. But then after the biggest wealth transfer in history occurred. Now to put into scale how big this wealth transfer truly was, we have to look at the stats. In early 2020, before COVID began, billionaires alone as just people owned 2% of total global wealth. And this is only including publicly available information. But just a year later, and this number was now 3.5%. 1.5% more of the total global wealth has gone to just billionaires alone, all in a single year. And the result of this is ginormous wealth for the top elites and a never-ending hamster wheel for the masses, where you can never control your own money, where you never own anything, where you have no property, land, or assets, or even any prospect of owning these things in the future, just continually renting everything with nothing to your name. Because in the last couple of years, as wages have stagnated, the cost of everything around you has gone up exponentially, only continue to go up and up while your income starts to shrink. And so it was no surprise that as this great wealth transfer unfolded, the World Economic Forum unveiled their new plan, the Great Reset. Now for those of you unaware, the World Economic Forum is a priestly cast of people, mixed up global leaders, rural families, BlackRock, the world's biggest companies, Black the Rock. biggest banks, the biggest pharmaceutical companies, mainstream media outlets, and the top celebrities. Pretty much a culmination of the world's most powerful people. 
And these are the people who create agendas and policies that are then adopted by organizations such as the UN, World Bank, IMF, and national governments. And this private organization has no democratic vote, and yet it is quite clearly one of the most powerful organizations the world has seen, not just affecting the West, but also Russia and China. So when they unveiled their plan for a great reset, this marked a new chapter in human history. And the leader of this organization is Klaus Schwab, who claimed the great reset would provide a unique window of opportunity to reshape our world. All governments in the West in just the last year have promoted these policies heavily, with the West now being forced to cut their ammonium and nitrogen emissions by 50% alone. However, for many farmers in Europe, their livestock normally produce ammonia, urine, and feces. And so farmers all across Europe were recently forced to cut 30% of their livestock, which meant huge swaths of farmers were forced out of business by the government. And yet these same rules never applied for sectors like the airline industry. So suddenly, farmers and workers across Europe protested. But at first, these protests were smeared as just crazy right-wingers. But as this resentment grew and the protests gripped European nations, the government acted harshly with live rounds being fired upon these protesters. I mean, in the Netherlands, they even changed the law that officers who killed protesters were now immune from manslaughter charges. And whilst the media covered this up, the Dutch government would never receive any backlash, as they were cowing to the World Economic Forum orders. I mean, just recently, protests have gripped the country of France. As the President Macron has risen the pension age, meaning it's gonna take longer and longer before workers can ever receive a pension. Even though the majority of France hates this idea, this was imposed anyway, as democracy in Western nations is becoming a facade. In fact, democracies aren't even obeying the people anymore. They obey corporate and financial interests rather than the popular vote, the World Economic Forum over the people. And that's why our freedoms are slowly being stripped economically and socially. Because if everyone had social and economic freedom, then the whole system would collapse. And instead of new parties emerging and addressing these protests, you're now seeing the militarization of the police, more surveillance, more distraction. And it's following this agenda that people like Bill Gates are claiming at the World Economic Forum that during our current worst cost of living crisis and the ongoing fuel shortages, Bill thinks that workers should now also be paying carbon taxes, or whilst people like Bill Gates are using the most carbon of all. They'll preach things like private property for the average person will be a bygone relic, all while snapping up record amounts of farmland across the US, following their mantra of you'll own nothing and be happy. And all you're left with is again, more distraction, more noise, more misery, more tension and more depression. No more family units, less farms, less freedoms and no more rights to pursue happiness. And this is just one of the reasons our habitus has been violently shifted towards consumerism and hollow material wealth, because we're being starved of it. And it's the perfect means to keep control in society. But how did things ever get this bad? This has never really happened in living memory. But what Orwell didn't foresee was that pleasure was just as useful a tool to keep the masses numbed. You see, as they slowly siphon the wealth out of the economy, it's the elites flat. keep us distracted with hollow, empty hedonism. And modern technology is the perfect tools for this. By exploiting the basic social need to be accepted, social media applications exploit your dopamine receptors in the exact same way as cocaine. Think of perfecting the algorithms and billions of dollars in research have made big tech companies like Facebook and TikTok as addictive as possible. And as people build up a tolerance, they always need more content faster to stay engaged, all while procrastinating and wasting their life away, being numbed into flaccid apathy in their bedrooms. The rise of TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and all these other short-form social media sites is just a direct result of this process. It's why we're developing parasocial relationships with streamers and not our own communities. Giving the people the illusion of community and knowing what's going on in the world, all without any real substance or true information, and by providing a drip-drip of anodyne lethargic dross. The meaning in your life is sucked away. The resentment you feel of the government is numbed and repressed inside of you. And so you accept it. And anytime you feel depressed, isolated, like things are just outside of your control, there's always that little dopamine fix just sitting in your pocket. 
pushing people more and more into the online realms, stuck alone in your bedroom. And the result of this is what you see today, the most depressed and downtrodden generation in living memory. As the normal societal habitus is breaking down, it's taking away your motivation to go out in the world and make something of yourself. You don't have the energy to call out bullshit against your government and the people preaching their agenda. Responsibility, duty, purpose, these key pillars that have motivated men for millennia have all been pushed out of the societal framework. Instead, consumerism and greed are the only things to look up to now. But the worst aspect of this is the effect it's had on people's relationships with each other. In 63% of men under age 30, single and alone, and a large majority of them aren't dating at all. Millions of men are experiencing the exact same lovelessness that Winston's known his entire life up until now. We then transition back to the antique store, where Winston plans on renting out the place. And once they're sure they're finally somewhere private, the duo secretly engage in an unsanctioned relationship against the state. We also finally get the name of the woman, Julia. In this moment, both of them can finally relax and enjoy themselves, even if just for a little while. Winston has been completely in the dark on whether there's an active resistance movement, but in his mind, he's certain that he has some level of understanding with an inner party member, a man called O'Brien. So when O'Brien corners Winston in a hallway, he's full of hope for a way to resist. O'Brien tells Winston that he's a fan of his writing, but he does mention that there were a few unwords in his latest piece, and recommends he reads the state's next dictionary edition. When he goes to collect it from O'Brien's office, Winston is outstanding by the luxuries that he enjoys. He offers him real wine, and O'Brien can even turn off his telescreen. But the most precious thing O'Brien offers Winston is hope, when he tells him about the resistance against the party. And it's here that we get an introduction to the shadowy practices of how Insoc truly operates. Between the pages of dictionary that O'Brien gave him, Winston finds a different book titled The Theory and Practice of Oligarchal Collectivism, which is basically a manual on how Insong and Big Brother operate, but it also tells Winston about what's really going on in the world's politics. In the world of 1984, three superstates have reached global dominance. There's Oceania, which controls the Americas, South Africa, and the UK. Then there's Eurasia, a Soviet successor state, which rules over Russia, parts of Asia, and Europe. And then finally, there's East Asia, a successor of China, which controls the Far East. The three states exist in a constant cycle of war, endlessly shifting alliances and fighting for control over the rest of the world, but they're not trying to win. They all have enough resources for their impoverished people. The states are also pretty much the same in their beliefs. It's just more propaganda and more control for the populace. And that's why the parallels of our real-life politics and that of 1984 is truly uncanny, where secret families and powerful shadowy organizations like the World Economic Forum fuel both sides of wars, where world enemies are friends behind closed doors, where governments continually change our enemies and ally with people that we're told to hate. Where do these big powerful governments and these shadowy organizations actually come from? Why does Big Brother exist? And why do we decide as humans to follow the order of these totalitarian regimes and governments? Well, the answer simply lies in understanding how governments form in the first place. The lack of laws led to a constant fear of death in the people. There was no actual progress because people were either too afraid of each other or just too busy in their fight for survival. So to avoid this constant struggle for survival, men willingly lay down their claims to the world to live in a peaceful collective under one powerful ruler. This was the optimal form of government, where one powerful state with a sole ruler did his best to protect the people. That way, everything follows one trajectory of the leader. All quarrels between the masses are distilled by ultimate power, and only then can the lives of everyone improve. As this only ever works with a truly virtuous and benevolent ruler. And yet the oligarchy of 1984 and the oligarchies we see today are just the complete opposite of this. But nonetheless, when there is this benevolent ruler who controls a massive population, the cultural and societal norms of that population always trickle down from the top. And this is where a social habitus forms. So this is how the habitus works, and sociologists use the idea of habitus to illustrate the manner in which a society's culture 
works. You see, there are many unspoken assumptions and standards that underpin society. These are frequently carried out automatically, and they are more akin to acquired skills than deliberate actions. The French thinker Bordeaux, who popularized the word, frequently linked it to sports. For example, the rules of football are set in stone, and you play the game without thinking why the rules are there in the first place. And yet these rules are crucial, otherwise the whole game just wouldn't work without it. And this is also how societies and culture flourishes. But then what happens when the values of the elite starts to crack, and the habitus becomes poisoned? What does this then mean for the rest of society? Well, you don't really have to look very far to see how fractured and malformed our habitus has become. I mean, we only need to take a look at who our icons are in society to give us an understanding of what has truly happened here. Due to our hyper-crony capitalist system, the elites and their greed and love of money has spread into every level of society. And I'm not talking about simple capitalism, here. I'm talking about the special kind, the special kind of corporatism and socialism for the rich. We no longer value a holistic lifestyle, where a person's value is based on many layers of their personality. Instead, today in the West, we only value the superficial to understand someone's value. And this explains the rapid rise of these fake gurus you see online. People like Grant Cardone, London Real, and these vacuous new megachurches. You see, things like this would never even exist without millions of people orientating their self-worth and motivations entirely around money. But our new religion is following hedonistic and materialistic pursuits. It's these sorts of scammers that completely rely on greed to survive. And greed is the name of the game in modern society. And that's why the greediest of all are then promoted even further, going all the way up to the top of the World Economic Forum. And in a lot of cases, people are just making money simply by talking about money and nothing else nothing on natural societal value. And it's not just these sorts of people. Our society now praises these celebrities whose only value lies in their image and wealth. The Kardashians are always mentioned, but there's just so many others, people like Cardi B, the entire cast of Love Island, or any other vacuous, hollowed out shell of a human being celebrity. And because we praise these false idols, everyone then buys into the societal delusion, helping to perpetuate this broken habitus even more. And that's why lots of well-meaning rational people are swept up to becoming mouthpieces of a failing system. And one of the perfect analogies for our twisted habitus could be seen with the FTX scandal recently. From celebrities to established financial institutions, Sam Bankman freed for the world by using his own artificial pumped up currency that had no attachment to anything real to make billions. Everyone believed in it, and that's where the value of these coins came from. By everyone believing in Sang Bankman frieds lies, he was able to make unthinkable money. But at the top of the pyramid of FTX, this CEO was a lazy gamer playing League of Legends in the Bahamas, with his whole value being tricking everyone into believing his money was worth something. But then when a gust of wind came, this whole facade came tumbling down in just a matter of days, and our society is heading exactly the same way. You see, as the habitus gets twisted even more, it becomes harder and harder for people to reconcile it with the real world. Then when the illusion breaks and people realize everything is built on a lie, it eventually collapses. They need people to trust the party over their own eyes and ears. It's how people are willing to accept that the enemy can change at a moment's notice, and it's how the party will have taken power in the first place. It's in times of great chaos and upheaval that regimes and governments fall and new ones take their place. It's just the cycle of history and we've seen it happen over and over again. It's how the world order changes. And in our current world right now, the transition is almost here. And time and time again, this cycle has just repeated itself. In recent history, it was the Dutch who were dominant, followed by the British, then the US, and now China is rising to challenge the US. And that's where we are today, on the cusp of this transitional period. And because of this, our current societal habitus just won't be able to cope with the changing world. As the cracks start to show in the habitus and the society becomes more and more deranged, we'll then see a massive shift back towards traditionalism because it's birth rates fall, young people fail to find love or happiness, the standard of living starts to drop, and the ideals of the constitution start to get ripped apart, right-wing sentiments will rise again. So right now it's becoming very clear that corporate elites will keep pushing their elitist fake leftism on the masses, all to maintain control of the world order.
However, the most disturbing part of this is the new idea of CBDCs, one of the most odious forms of corporate control. Jake, do you and know so about corporations this? and financial institutions manage to push the idea into the mainstream, it will eventually oh, yeah. give the wow. banks and governments greater control over people's lives, because a centralized bank digital currency means that the government then has full control of the money, and so that everything you spend it on is tracked by the government. And with one push we of a button, they will be able bit. to cut off your yeah. funds entirely, all for saying the wrong thing. And this will then paralyze you, leaving you at the government's must. Jake, and I've often heard you say so many times on this show that community is one of the most important things. Family is one of the most important things. Actually getting out and doing something is one of the most important things we can do as human beings. And um, yeah, what were your thoughts about that second, that second part? What a great summary of kind of how things are being pushed in our society today and how he ended it with the CBDC and how that would be the ultimate fulfillment of them implementing the 1984 style control that we see in the book. And it starts with uh, just our culture. It starts with people being dependent on the system and it, it, it's facilitated by the deception pushed by the mainstream media and the truth squad going out there censoring people that speak out against these deceptions and man that was just a, a really good summary of literally what we've been talking about for the past year yeah and and i have one more george or orwell prediction clip that that i'll share real quick and then we can discuss it further if you want or not but th these are like yeah. more recent things i think says the project aims to reframe American history. It is an examination of the United States' origin story, a corrective history. It is designed to kickstart conversations, thus that hashtag I just mentioned, 1619 Project Brunch. We're now to some major news out of the NFL. A source telling ESPN that Washington's NFL team retiring its controversial nickname. The Aunt Jemima brand is getting erased. The name and logo are being dropped from all products, including the iconic pancake mix and maple syrup. Within hours of the the Aunt Jemima announcement came word that Uncle Ben's rice would get a new brand identity too. New tonight, the Phoenix City Council voted to change the name of streets that they find offensive. Barnes and Noble facing backlash over its diverse editions of classic novels. Some to mention, like Peter Pan, The Secret Garden, are being displayed with new covers. The characters on the books are being reimagined as different ethnicities. This Twitter dropping the programming terms master, slave, and blacklist from its code. Master and slave are going to become leader and follower, while blacklist will become deny list. Watch this. I have never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference. Your sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term. So Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, uh, here's the old definition versus the new definition of sexual preference. Before it said orientation, sense, sexual preference. And now, after that exchange between the two of them on Tuesday, now it says offensive, so uh, sense, sexual preference. What's your response?
That is a child attacking her mother and father for the crime of insufficient loyalty to Black Lives Matter. Here's a 15-year-old from Louisiana called Isabella. There are many like her in America right now. I literally hate my family so much. It's just... They just try to argue with me that George Floyd... Does it, like, they're just trying to tell me that, like, he, he deserved that because he did something wrong and that it was okay. That is not okay. And it's just making me so upset. I don't know why. I do not want to live here. I, do, I hate living in Louisiana. I hate living around these racist I just want to leave. Man. Think Trump is worse than Hitler? Yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Why do you say that? He's childish. Yeah. That's he's, I stop. he's trying to stop, you know, like food stamps. People need those. Do you think that ending food stamps is as bad as killing like six million Jews? Mm. He did that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He killed That's Jews. He he's trying to just destroy the planet. And that wall, yeah. They did a Harvard study, and actually a, a judicial system study as well, and they found that there was no racial bias when it came to police shootings last year. When you guys hear that, what does that make you think? Cap. <laughs> Cap. They did a study that showed that cops are actually 18 times more likely to be killed than an unarmed black man is to be killed by the police. Cap. <laughs> that, is, that is Cap. Let's do it. Do you think the gender wage gap is real? I do. How do you stop the gender wage gap? That's a great question. Um, I think we have to take a look at our government and our understanding of capitalism and consumerism and kind of start working there and work backwards. If you had like a business, you know what I mean, and they could pay women 77 cents for every dollar that a man would make, that would be like capitalism. So they would hire all women. Uh, I suppose in a sense I'm following what you're saying, but... But in today's culture, just a simple social media post from years ago can prevent you from getting a job. Is that fair? Tonight, Denver 7's Russell Haythorn goes 360 on the rise of what's being referred to as cancel culture.
You may have never heard the term cancel culture. It's somewhat of a boycott of a person who has done something that other people find objectionable. It can also be someone just like you and me. Putting something out there that can probably offend somebody. So I often caution people, especially young people, students, uh, about what they place on social media because that is their professional image and picture forever. Cancel culture is a form of boycott or public shaming of a person who has shared a questionable or unpopular opinion. So what are your thoughts, Jay? Do you have any final thoughts? This is that was my last 1984 clip and how it how it has to do with today. It just makes me think more and more that George Orwell uh, had like I don't know if it was a prophetic vision like or Tesla an knowledge. inside scoop or what, but that that was insane. How comparing the book to what we're seeing in today's world, you saw it really is spot on and it really is showing us kind of what they have planned for the world in the coming years. So pretty, pretty insane. Yeah. All right. Well, the, we're going to totally switch gears right now. Uh, and I want to show you this crazy clip because it happened here in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I'm going to tell you a crazy story about it. This deadly tornado serpent with winds in excess of 160 miles per hour took 10 lives and injured 216 as it raged near downtown Dallas. Moving at only 30 miles per hour, it became the most photographed tornado in history. Analyzing the great volume of movies and photographs advanced significant new understanding of wind speeds and life cycles. So that that tornado happened April 2nd 1957 in Dallas and uh, this tornado they said was the most photographed in history and we have an eyewitness to that uh, and, a, and a really crazy story behind it from OPA yep so you I understand were this was before storm chasers and you guys didn't know that a tornado could could come back at you, right? They didn't have enough knowledge about how tornadoes really worked when you were a kid, right? Well, yeah, I was uh, I was a kid, probably uh, <coughs> eight or nine nine years old, excuse me. And uh, uh, we were in our I was in our front yard, and I I saw this cloud passing over us it, w it wasn't the tornado coming it wasn't a tornado down on the ground but it was the it was the cloud itself that was moving that contained the, the tornado and uh, then we as it passed over our house and went down uh, a little bit uh, then you could see the tornado coming down from the cloud and 
touched ground, and it touched ground, I would say, less than a mile away from us. So we were pretty lucky. Uh, about that time, a friend of uh, my, mine uh, and my brother's uh, drove up in uh, his old jalopy. Uh, it was a, a, an old, I don't know what kind of car it was, Packard or something, but he had, uh, it was a convertible, and he also had uh, changed the trunk into a rumble seat uh, where you could, instead of using it as a trunk, you use it as more space to hold people. And so I hopped in the back of that thing, and as uh, he started to drive, and we were basically chasing after a tornado, thinking that, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. You know, we watched the tornado uh, do its devastation. How close did you get to it? We got close enough to where the shrapnel from the tornado was starting to fly by us, and uh, I, I think we decided about that point in time that it was uh, not a good idea, so we kind of backed off and didn't go any further. Later on in life, I, I discovered that tornadoes don't go in just one direction. Matter of fact, some tornadoes, why they call them twisters, is because they actually uh, just move around like figure eights or, you know, what have you, and they can change direction and come right back at you. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Opa was the first storm chaser to ever live. Isn't that a crazy story, Jake? <laughs> yeah, wow. And that was, it said, one of the most filmed tornadoes in history. Yep. And he was literally able to see it and was there. That's amazing. Yeah. I thought you guys would enjoy that. Y'all got you, you guys love Opa's stories, and Opa's got the best stories, so there's more to come. And that's all I got for history this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, now speaking of like 1984 and, you know, this probably upcoming craziness, this upcoming famine, check out skibabeef.com. Henry Kissinger once said, who controls the food supply controls the people. The powers that be are attacking our food infrastructure right now with the intention of making us eat bugs. I won't be eating bugs and neither should you. Go to skibabeef.com and secure yourself some long-term storage beef cubes. These aren't beef crumbles. These are real cuts of beef freeze-dried for over 10 years of shelf life. Use promo code SKIBA10 at skibabeef.com for a discount. Use promo code SKIBA10 for 10% off. So just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, now you got some memes for me, Jake? Yeah, I got a whole bunch of memes this week. All right, well, let's meme me up. All right, I'm going to blaze through these because we got quite a few. Uh, some submitted by Opa. This one in particular got me laughing. Uh, I got a new car and the chicks love it. <laughs> Here we go. When you become frustrated with older people because of what they cannot do, think of how frustrated they must feel because they can no longer do it. The day the whole class found the teacher's brownies, then she put on Pink Floyd. <laughs> That's this must have been the 60s, 70s. All right. Uh, the people telling us not to be offended by a beer can are the same people who are offended by syrup. <laughs> That's funny. You talked about that yeah. in your segment, too. Yeah. 
This is someone's privacy fence. Incredible creativity. Opa said he wants that. Yeah, I want that too. That's that's yeah, a I'm gonna, pretty I'm, cool way to hide your house. <laughs> I'm going to build one. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> uh, here's a uh, an Uber driver. Um, really comfortable. Yeah, it looks pretty comfortable. <laughs> it's, sad, it's a sad world when your seven-year-old son can't pretend he's an Indian, but a grown man can pretend that he's a woman. <laughs> Mommy, what did that lady mean when she said what her pronouns are? It means she's insane and you should stay away from her. <laughs> uh, for more organized home, make sure everything has a place, including your cat in the basket. <laughs> They'll find anything. <laughs> I'm reading a book about anti-gravity, Spock. Sounds fascinating, Captain. I can't put it down. But um, <laughs> gravity, you know, the theory, the theory that still remains a theory. Or we only know 4% of where the gravity comes from. The rest of it is dark matter and dark energy. All right. When the Bible tells you what to do, when you have a log in your eye, but not when your brother in Christ has a stick up their butt. <laughs> <laughs> pull out the, the the log in your own eye, not the speck in your before you pull the speck out of your brothers. I don't know about pulling that stick out of their butt. Uh, yeah, dude, you sold me a freaking muffin. Leave a tip, fifteen percent, twenty percent, twenty five percent. Man, I feel so much pressure nowadays going oh, to yeah. restaurants and different places because they do this psychology of flipping the thing around and going, here's your uh, cho choices of giving me a tip for literally doing something that I'm being paid to do. <laughs> yeah, I came in here to, to get the muffin. You know, I, I, I saved you the work or the, the trouble of bringing it to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I saw a whole documentary on it. It's a it's a modern conspiracy happening in the the restaurant industry today. Uh, them, just be loving and respect all religions. Me and the boys, bringing down these idols. <laughs> yeah, I found it interesting that during Charles coronation he changed his title from defender of the faith to defender of all faiths hmm. and uh and that to me is pretty pretty interesting yeah all right here's another one when you've ignored your laundry for weeks <laughs> bring in the semi boys we're doing laundry today all right here uh bike still for sale yes it is what's the lowest you'll go on it uh, two miles per hour. Anything less than that, and you'll tip over. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, here's a cool picture I saw Chad Riley post. It's uh, This is the Vishnu Temple located in Grand Canyon, Arizona. And it used to be possibly a giant sphinx. You can see kind of the shape up here. Yeah. It looks like a pyramid with a, the Sphinx arms in front of it. It does. I, I can only wonder. Yeah, that's crazy. Old world, old world America. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right, here's uh, salt and pepper shakers. 
Guess which one is Salt? Lot's wife or Lot? <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to let you all go. You're just not freaks anymore. <laughs> we have a That's super funny. fat man, a tattooed guy, and a bearded woman. Oh, uh, wow. Man, they're out of work. It's not fair. Yeah. Uh, here's a good uh, reminder. A man doesn't complain. He adapts. He doesn't make excuses. He makes solutions. He doesn't blame others. He takes responsibility. Um, my favorite childhood memory is my back not hurting. <laughs> Me too. Oh, man. When you cook dinner at home instead of ordering from DoorDash. <laughs> oh, is that the little house on the prairie family? Uh, I think opposite. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We uh we stayed at the Laura Van Wilder uh, RV park in Missouri. There in near Ava, Missouri, the place where I guess she uh, their museum is for the little house on the prairie people. The woman who wrote the book. Cool. Pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, reading 20 pages per day is 30 books per year. Saving $10 per day is 3,650 per year. Running one mile per day is 365 miles per year. Becoming 1% better per day is 37 times better per year. Small habits are underestimated. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, when you want to go fishing, but you don't have a boat... Pull out the kitty pool. <laughs> All right. Waitress says, say when, when grating my cheese. I never say when. The room fills with Parmesan. There are no survivors. <laughs> they, they always seem to, like, give you that look when they're – they know you don't want to say no more cheese. But they just – they slow it down a little bit. And then you're like, okay, I get it. You don't want to give me any more. It's kind of like a guilt trip. I tell them, keep on coming. Uh, keep on keep coming. Keep on. Yeah. I couldn't find this little girl's parents, so I trapped her with dinosaurs so she wouldn't <laughs> run off while I found them. Oh, <laughs> uh, poor little girl. All right. Uh, glad I survived your Facebook friend purge. Now I can go back to having no clue who you are. <laughs> I, see, I always see that from time to time. People are like, I'm purging my Facebook friends. Everybody's fake and nobody comments or likes on my posts, so I'm deleting everyone. <laughs> oh, man. Just Sad social that's media, what guys. That's what it's come to. Yep. Uh, my grocery delivery didn't have the bag of shredded cheese I ordered, so they substituted with a block of cheese instead. I had to shred the cheese myself by hand. Like the Amish. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, when you want to eavesdrop on your neighbors arguing, so you stand at the open windows and break out your embroidery. I guess it's how you snooped on people back in the, like, 1700s. <laughs> I think Sierra sent me that one. All right. Uh, why don't the 99 of us who aren't offended by everything quit catering to the 1% who are? Yeah. I think that's a good, a good amount of wisdom there, Snoopy. Mm -hmm. uh, here's uh, somebody driving down in the Texas heat during the summer, I guess. They're running a generator with an air conditioner plugged into it, mm. sticking out in their car window. Got to do what uh, you got to do. Yeah. All right. When I was a kid. No, dude, you're going to have to read this one with your Kermit voice. 
When I was a kid, my parents would always say, excuse my French after a swear word. I'll never forget my first day at school when my teacher asked me if any of us knew any French, like Miss Piggy. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, last one, uh, Keith Richards preparing for the next world tour in 21-23. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. I don't know how Man, he's still I, alive. That's amazing, and uh, he he does look like a a shaved version of Jack Sparrow, you know. Well, Jack Sparrow was actually fashioned after Keith Richards. Do you know that? Yeah, Johnny Johnny, Johnny doing his hand thing and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, wow. he uh, Keith Richards played the dad of Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's pretty crazy. Sweet. All right, that's all for this week, guys. All right, Jake, thank you for another great current news and memes as always. Opus, thank you for another great Opus Corner. I hope you guys enjoyed the history, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for coming on this journey with us every week as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Subscribe and stay tuned. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, Click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shoutouts, and much more. You can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcasts on your favorite podcast platform.